As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love, Jesus said. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you. Thank you for our experience this morning. We've come into this place from all different experiences this week. It's quiet here. It's reflective here. You've been speaking to us already through the power of the sounds of the music and the significance of the words. And you've invited us, God, to engage our hearts and our minds with you in worship. As we have been lifting our voices to you, O God, you have been speaking into our hearts. And with this last song, you've been telling us that no matter what any of us in this room is carrying today, no matter what we're facing, no matter what tomorrow, Monday, is going to bring, there can be joy in the morning. So right now, my friends, all of us, in the quietness of this moment, why don't you hand over to the almighty, holy, living God whatever those heavy things are for you. Whatever those stress load things are for you. Why don't you invite him, the God who made you, in these next moments to help you find his joy for you in your circumstances. God, tomorrow morning when we wake up, it's very likely that the circumstances haven't changed. But God, our prayer, our hope, our trust in you is that we will have found the joy that can only come from you and can then give us the strength to face tomorrow in confidence that you're right there with us. Thank you. Now, God, we open our minds to hear your truth, our hearts to receive your touch, trusting that in the next few minutes we will change as a people, each of us, all of us, because of an encounter with the living God. For it's in your name, Lord Jesus Christ, that we have come and we've been singing and we're praying and now we're listening. Amen and amen. Amen. I wonder if you'd want to join me in praising God for our worship and our worship leaders today as we dismiss our children, the little ones up through grade four. Dear choir, Pastor Mark, and worship leaders, you've brought us significantly, powerfully, wonderfully into the presence of God. Little children up through grade four, there's some great adults out there in the lobby area ready for you. They're ready to help you know how much you can love Jesus like they do. And if you're visiting with us today, we're awfully honored and glad that you're here. Thank you, dear choir. Uh, my guess is that your television screens and your internet screens, and if you still read a newspaper, your newspapers were like what I looked at this week. And you've been scratching your head all week long saying, what is happening in America? I've been asking myself this question. What if? What if those two brothers in Boston had had a friend, a friend who knew Jesus, 
and was living in a relationship with Jesus that was real, authentic, true, and if you were here last week, that was aligned properly. And what if that friend had understood that because he has trusted Jesus Christ with his life, he gets to be an ambassador of Christ, communicating the hope of Jesus, and he had communicated with those two brothers about who Jesus Christ is and how Jesus could change their lives. And what if that young man, or perhaps it would have been a young woman, was also part of a community of people like him or her who knew Jesus, whose life was changed by this Jesus? If those three things had been true, I wonder if it's very likely that the Boston Marathon would have finished celebratively and normally like it has so many years past. I've been watching the news lately with that question in my mind. What if? What if the person or persons who caused those horrific things that our news brings to us every day had just one person in their life who knew Jesus and loved Jesus and wanted that person to know the difference Jesus could make in their lives? Could it be that our news would be entirely differently? May I suggest to you that between Easter resurrection and the time that the Lord Jesus Christ ascended back to heaven, those 40 days, there were three primary things that Jesus was attempting to do with folks just like you and me. First, bring those of his friends who had scattered in the night, and one friend especially who had denied three times, I don't even know him, Bring them back into alignment with him. Remember last week I suggested to you that kind of like when you drive your automobile on one of these country roads when no one is around and you release your grip on the wheel just to see does your car drift telling you it's out of alignment so our lives can get out of alignment with God. And when that happens, it's a lot worse than your car being out of alignment. Jesus, over those 40 days, was helping his friends get back into alignment with him. Do you agree with that? The second thing he was doing was helping them understand, once aligned, they can live their lives with great purpose and significance as an ambassador of Jesus Christ, communicating to the world the hope that is available to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally, he was communicating to them that once they understand who they are, people living in celebrative realignment with Jesus, they will not be alone in that journey. They'll look around and they'll say, there's a whole bunch of us like that. And they'll join together in community, church. And when that happens, now there's a movement that changes the world. In fact, do you see what I wrote for you on the front of your worship folder? You know, if you're a part of Calvary, that I always write a little paragraph to help you know what's been percolating in my mind all week. In 2,000 years of global dysfunction in war and natural disasters, genocide, ethnic cleansing, disease epidemics, chronic poverty, my goodness, by the time I got there, I was depressed. And more, the single most powerful force for good and hope has been the realigned, courageous, commissioned community of Jesus Christ followers. That's us. Do you agree with that, my friends? Everywhere in the world, nothing is more valuable in our world today than the risen Jesus 
realigning, recommissioning, and re-energizing his people to infect and affect our world as his ambassadors. Now, I could stop right there. We could just ponder that for 30 minutes or so. That would be enough right there to carry us through this next week. That's a powerful statement. And it begs the question for each of us, am I a part of that? Is my life realigned, or am I still out of alignment and some changes need to happen in me? Do I understand that I have been commissioned as a representative of God in my world? Am I a part of a vibrant, authentic, dynamic, courageous community of Christ followers? Huh? I gave you a, a phrase last week, and I'm almost hesitant to put it on the screen because it's shocking. But I've had several of you come to me since last week saying, I, I just can't get that phrase out of my mind, so here it is one more time, and it's not in your notes. Would you say it with me? Out-of-alignment Christians are of little help in our out-of-alignment world. Now ponder that. Now that doesn't mean that, that a Christian dentist or doctor whose life is not in perfect alignment with Jesus is a terrible doctor or dentist. That's not what it means. But what it means is any person, any person of any vocation who is a true Christian, if their life is not in full alignment with Jesus, they are not nearly who they could be. They're missing out on tremendous potential of the difference they could make in our world. In fact, I suggested to you last week that at best, a person like that is neutral, has a neutral effect in our out-of-alignment world. At worst... They're part of the problem. Now, that's pretty strong stuff, isn't it, my friends? But I have to ask you, is it true? Do you believe that that is a true statement, yes or no? And sometimes, would you agree, it's important for us to look at, may I call it, hard truth. So in your notes, you know I always put notes for you there in your worship folder. You, you see perhaps that I took those same phrases from last week and I've restated them again because they were so powerful. And this time, I've added some questions you'll see on the screen. And if you'll take the digging deeper this week or go online, you'll see the questions there. You know that I never bring you a question that I haven't been working through in myself. So here's the first one. This matter of realignment fraternity. Who are the people that I trust to help me stay aligned with God. You won't see the question in your notes. It's a fresh question, fresh beans in the soup. <laughs> Who are the people I trust to help me stay aligned with God or get realigned when I'm drifting? Do you have some folks in your life that are like that? Do you trust them? And do you recognize when you're drifting and you call them and they help you get back in line? Secondly, this matter of realignment focus. How do I keep my mind and my heart focused on Jesus? What realigns my focus on him when I've been distracted by the busyness and the pain of life? That's a really important question. Would you agree? Because every day, all of us find ourselves distracted by the harsh realities of life. Here's the next one. The realignment harmony. Hmm. How do I discern when my life is out of tune, especially morally or spiritually? 
And what specific steps must I take to get in lockstep with the Holy Spirit of God? I went online yesterday morning, as I almost always do first thing in the morning, to see what's been going on on the other side of the world while I've been sleeping. And a news story caught my attention. I went back online early this morning, and it's gone already. That's the way it is sometimes with news. India, a province that I've never been to. The Playboy organization had made a formal appeal all the way to the court system there for permission to build a Playboy club in the capital city of that province. And the reason it was newsworthy is they'd been denied. And the judge said, it's because in this province we respect our women too much to allow you here. Amen. That's that right there. How can you tell when your life is out of tune morally or spiritually? I wanted to write that guy a letter and say, we needed you to be the mayor of Lake Geneva about 50 years ago. (laughs) Careful now. That's almost politics, isn't it? I I wasn't here 50 years ago. Realignment relationship. How do I guard my heart from becoming cold or hard toward God? What prevents my mind from becoming bored with God or skeptical about God and his truth? What restores my passion in my relationship with Jesus Christ as my Savior, my friend, and my Lord? Are those fair questions for us, my friends? As you look closely at your relationship with Almighty God, And one last one, the question of realignment foundation I suggested last week to you. What truths form the unshakable foundation of my life? What core values guide my life? Are they God's truths and God's values? And you remember I gave you those last week, those statements. We were looking at Peter and how he was living in the shame of his failure and he needed his life to be realigned with Jesus again. So in my notes, I asked this question for you. What does this look like in my life? What does it feel like in my life when my life gets realigned with Jesus in each of those areas? I urge you to take the digging deeper either on paper or online this week and work through those. The last two records that we have of things that Jesus said to his friends before he left us seemed to me to suggest that, okay, he was saying, now that you understand realignment, now I need you to understand that your life has purpose when you're realigned with me. Matthew tells us that there in Galilee, they were sitting one day on the hillside, I I presume looking out over the area that was so familiar to each of them, probably looking at the lake there, and I wonder if Jesus might have said, hey, Peter, you remember, it was right about out there. You actually took three or four steps on the waves. Remember that night? wonder if Peter said, I wonder how far I could have walked if I hadn't been overwhelmed by the storm and realized what I was doing. (laughs) Yeah. Jesus said, uh, friends, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I am in authority over everything. Now, as you're going through life, your normal journey through life, wherever life takes you, share the story. 
tell everyone about me and your relationship with me and how my life changed your life, how my truth has changed your thinking, how your relationship with God is transformed because of me. Make disciples of all peoples and all places, wherever your life journey takes you. Teach them everything that I've taught you. Baptize them. Once they've trusted me in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and I'll be with you always. And when he said that, I'll be with you always, I wonder if they got, oh, wonderful. We were afraid we were going to leave. No, no, he had told them he was going to be leaving, remember? I wonder if maybe one of them said, there's 11 of us sitting here with you, Jesus. You, you can't be with all of us if we leave this mountain and go in 11 different directions. I wonder if he said, remember I told you that I will be leaving you, but I will send you my Holy Spirit with each of you. That way, I can be with each of you always, wherever you go. A few days or weeks later, we're not sure how long, they were back in Jerusalem, evidently sitting around the table doing one of the things Jesus loved to do most, eating. <laughs> Amen. And he said, now, my friends, you wait here in Jerusalem until the gift my Father promised is sent to you. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. You will receive power like you've never known power in your lifetime. You'll be changed, and you will be my ambassadors, my witnesses. First, right here in this city, Jerusalem, and then Judea, then Samaria, and then all the way to the ends of the earth. Dr. Luke tells us that they got up from the table, evidently, went across the Kidron to the Mount of Olives where they'd gone many times before, and he said goodbye. And right in front of them, elevated up into the clouds. And they stood there looking at each other. And two angels appeared and said, stop gaping up into the sky. Get on with it now. He told you what to do, and he'll be coming back again. Can you imagine them looking at each other and probably looking at Peter? So, Peter, what are we supposed to do? Somebody said, let's go back to Jerusalem and let's just start praying and asking God what we're supposed to do. Realigned, they were understanding that they were now commissioned to live their lives with purpose for the rest of their lives. I'm sure you know none of them hurried to enroll in seminary. Aren't you glad? They just got on with life. And wherever they went, they told the story. And for each of them, it eventually cost them their life. Remember? Dr. Luke tells us in Acts chapter 1, would you open your Bibles there with me, please? And if you didn't happen to bring a Bible, there's one under the chair in front of you. Acts is the fifth book in the New Testament, you'll remember, written by Dr. Luke. And he says that they left the hillside and, and they gathered all together. Chapter 1, verse 14. They were all together in prayer. Verse 15 tells us, my goodness, there was 120 of them. In my notes, I've called them a, an alumni association. <laughs> this was a group of folks that had a very special relationship with Jesus. They'd heard him say the truth. They'd watched him in the miracles. Their lives had been changed by him, and now they were together sharing the stories, celebrating and asking God what's next. Would you consider this thought? Realigned individuals are commissioned by the risen Jesus Christ to be ambassadors, 
and to make what I'm calling a significant global impact and form a realigned community. And I know what you're thinking. Pastor Doug, you ought to check the PowerPoint before it goes on the screen. Global is spelled G-L-O-B. Have you ever heard that word before? Glocal? It's a new word. No, I didn't invent it. (laughs) I'm reading a couple books about it. Here's what it means. You and I are living at a time in history like never before. You put a return address on your envelopes. That's where you live. That's where your bills come to, amen? (laughs) But you go into the office in your home or wherever you have your computer, and instantly you can be almost anywhere in the world. Isn't that true? The Internet. You pick your cell phone up out of your pocket and you dial a whole bunch of numbers. You can talk to almost any living human being on the planet. That's global. So you're living local, but you're reaching global. And in this church, 89 of you, 89 of you in 2012, you took that the next step. You got on an airplane and you went somewhere in the world to make a difference. You and I are living at a time, my friends, it's unbelievable. We're ambassadors of Jesus Christ, not only are communicating the hope of Jesus next door, and maybe across town, and maybe as far as you can drive on a, gallon, on a tank of gasoline, you're reaching the world if you'd like to. Do you see the opportunity that we have before us as a community of God's people, realigned individuals, and that's so important. Once we get our lives realigned with Jesus, we understand we are commissioned by God to be his representatives in the world, living locally, reaching globally, global. And we're joined together in community. They were just beginning to understand it here. As they were together in that room talking about Jesus, they were sharing their shared truths and experiences. So I put there in my notes, what shared, risen Jesus truths and experiences unite you and me, the people called Calvary, or the little church up in North Dakota that we're helping, you dear folks. What are the truths of Jesus and your experiences with Jesus that unite you as a realigned community, huh? They were there in that room, in that house, evidently, for several days, eating, worshiping, praying, telling the stories. And then all of a sudden, something happened that had never happened before in human history. It sounded like a freight train, like a tornado coming through town. Chapter 2, look, verse 2. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with, what? The Holy Spirit of God and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit of God enabled them. They were experiencing what Jesus had promised. I'm going to be leaving you, but I will send the Holy Spirit of God who will empower you. Why? If the Holy Spirit was going to show himself as present and powerful. Why other languages? Next verse. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from, what's it say? Every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each of them heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them speaking in our own native language? Fifty days before, 
as happened every year, it was Passover in Jerusalem. Thousands and thousands of Jews had come from all over the Roman Empire to Jerusalem to celebrate that great festival that declared them to be God's chosen people. Fifty days later, they're back together again, the Feast of Weeks, Pentecost. Three times a year, God had asked them to come together to remember their uniqueness as his people. But this time when they came together, they were hearing all kinds of stories in town uh, about this risen Jesus Christ who had appeared many times and now had actually ascended back into heaven. There was an amazing confusion all through town. What are these crazy people saying? But this day, all of a sudden, folks from all over the Roman Empire are hearing in their own native language Galileans, normal folks like you and me, speaking their language that they had never studied before. And what were they saying? Look, verse 12, uh, verse 11, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? What could it possibly mean that people are speaking languages they've never studied and they're proclaiming about the magnificence of God and the person of Jesus Christ? Peter stood up among them and he said, I'll tell you what it means. And most of the rest of the second chapter is his speech, his message, unprepared. Unlike me, he had no notes in front of him. He responded spontaneously to the opportunity, and the Spirit of God led him to explain that God had predicted it hundreds of years before with the prophet Joel. He went on to say, we are eyewitnesses of this Jesus. We knew him. You crucified him, but God raised him from the dead and has now sent that which he promised the Holy Spirit. Luke tells us the people were convicted in their hearts and cried out, what should we do? Peter says, repent of your sin, turn away from your skepticism and your doubt, and trust Jesus to be who he claims to be, Messiah, God incarnate. Trust him to be your Savior, and he will save you. He'll forgive you of your sin. And then be baptized, and the Holy Spirit of God will come upon you like he has come on us. And Dr. Luke tells us that 3,000 people, 3,000 people, that's more than the population of Williams Bay, stepped forward and said, me, I want that in my life. Do you see what's happened, friends? Folks who were fearful and confused got their lives realigned with Jesus. Pouring out of them was truth that they couldn't help but speaking. Their lives were obviously the, the evidence of the power of God alive within them, transforming them. They were attractive. They were contagious. People wanted what they wanted. Can you make the application to you and me? You see, if you claim to be a Christian, there is no neutrality. Your life is either attracting people to Jesus, contagiously, the smile on your face, the way you face the problems in your life, the way that God does his powerful work in you attracts people to Jesus or you're out of alignment and people are actually repelled. Whatever this Jesus is in you, I don't want any part of it because obviously it hasn't helped you. 
And every day I have to look at myself to say, which one of those two people am I, God? And I invite you, all of you, each of us in this room, think about that for a minute. This past week, were you a contagious Christian appealing, not because you stood on the top of your house with a bullhorn and shouted out, just your life, the way you treated your spouse, your children, your grandchildren, Uh, The way you responded in the grocery store line when somebody else stepped in front of you with that grocery cart just filled to overflowing and you were in a hurry. Honestly now, in the real stuff of life, contagious, attractive, repulsive, realigned people become attractive, contagious ambassadors of Christ, even if they don't say a word. What do you think about that? Is that true? Remember, Augustine once said, share the gospel everywhere, always, and if you must, use words. Did you get it? Share the gospel everywhere, always, and if you must, use words. So what does it look like when a group of folks whose lives are realigned with Jesus understand and live out being commissioned ambassadors of Jesus? What does it look like when they start living together in community, in relationship with each other? You want to see it? Verse 42, same chapter. Look at it there. They, who's the they? Well, they is that 120 plus now 3,000 more. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Why? The New Testament hadn't been written yet. Nobody had written even one word yet of the story of Jesus. And so people were hungry to know, and of course they would come to the apostles, Peter, tell me again the story, all the stories that you have of your relationship with Jesus. John, he changed your life, tell me about him. Those poor guys, they couldn't get hardly a night's sleep because everybody was so hungry to hear the stories, the true life-changing stories. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Here's what he said. Here's what it means. Here's how it's changed my life. And to the fellowship. They just loved being together. Amen? Do we? I think so. I know I enjoy being with you. And to the breaking of bread. Amen. They must have been a little Scandinavian. They love to eat. (laughs) Amen. They love to eat together. And of course, they love to take the Lord's table, communion together. And to prayer. Oh, they loved talking to Jesus. They couldn't see him anymore, but they knew that he could hear him, and they wanted to hear his response. They loved to pray together. They love to pray for each other and with each other. They love to watch God answer their prayers. And everyone was just filled with awe. God was doing many wonders and miraculous signs among them. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. Some of them even sold their possessions and goods and gave to other people who were in need. Think about that. Compassionate, generous, sensitive to the needs of other people. Every day. Every day, not every week, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They just couldn't get enough of being together. They broke bread in their homes. They had each other in the house. Y'all come to my house. Come on. 
They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. Thank you, Pastor Mark, for leading us this morning and praising God. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, instruments, for leading us in praising him. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Do you see the last line there? And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It was contagious. They couldn't control it. Everybody wanted in. Well, not exactly everybody. As you keep reading in in chapter 3 and chapter 4, you'll remember that in chapter 3, as Peter and John one day were going up to the temple, a beggar was sitting alongside of the way, and like beggars always do, and this one had done for many years, put out his hand and, of course, asked for a coin. Peter and John reached into their pockets. There was nothing there. I'm sure if there was, they might have shared it, compassionate as they were. Silver and gold we don't have, but take my hand. Do you trust in Jesus Christ? In the name of Jesus, stand up. And a crippled man stood. A crippled man stood. Dr. Luke tells a doctor tells us. And he started jumping and dancing and screaming. Went into the temple with them. Crowds gathered around them. And when you read later this week, if you follow my digging deeper and you read through chapter 3 and 4, Peter and John said, what are you all looking at? We didn't do that. There's no way we have the ability to do something like that. That's God unleashing his power through people whose lives are realigned with Jesus, who, people who understand that they are the commissioned ambassadors of Jesus. Not everybody was impressed. And Peter and John spent a night in the local hotel called the jail. And I wonder if that night they were thinking, oh, is this part of the deal? Being commissioned as an ambassador, it all sounded so really good. Jesus, we assumed everyone, everyone is going to want to be a part of this. Jail? Really? My guess is they didn't sleep that night. My guess is those two friends, Peter and John, really wrestled with, may I call it, the hard, horrible truth. That being a light in a dark place sometimes is painful. Do you agree with that? And I wonder if that night they asked each other, so what price are you willing to pay? What if these guys that we're going to meet in front of tomorrow morning to give explanation of what we've done, what if those guys beat us the same way they beat Jesus? Could we handle that? Do you suppose one of them said to the other, and I know what you're thinking because I'm thinking it too, they condemned him to die on a cross. What if they do the same to us? Is it really worth that much to us? Or maybe tomorrow morning we could just say, gee, we're really sorry, guys. We're fishermen. We're going back to our business. It'll never happen again. We'll see you. The next morning, they did stand in front of that same group of religious leaders that had hauled Jesus in. The same group that had condemned him to be beaten and eventually crucified. And those guys said to Peter, what do you think you're doing? 
Do you see the response in chapter 4? Look at it real quickly. It's powerful. Verse 8, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said, Rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. These religious leaders sat there with their mouths hanging open, looking at each other. Did you hear what they just said? And when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, uneducated, ordinary men, they were astonished. But they took note. These men have been with Jesus. You can hear the question already, can't you? You know me well enough. Are people astonished at your life and mine? Are people astonished at the durability of your marriage when marriages all around us are crumbling? Are people astonished at your ability to forgive again and again and again? Are people astonished at your heart and its ability to heal after it's been broken again? Are people astonished at your generosity in response to the needs that you see around you? Are people astonished at your prayer life and your confidence that God hears your prayer and responds to your prayer? Are people astonished at your patience with your children <laughs> and your grandchildren? Are people astonished at your courage? We had a wedding here on Friday evening. I had the privilege of going to the reception. About 200 people. I only probably knew 10 people in the room. The dad of the bride, when it came time for the dad to offer a toast, stood not with a champagne glass in his hand, but with a Bible in his hand. A Bible. And he said to his daughter and his new son-in-law, let me just give you one good word. It's found in this book. And your mother and I have started every day together with a few minutes in this book and talking to God and asking God to lead and guide us that day. And here's what it says, he said. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, God, and he will direct your paths. I looked around the room and most people were going... But there were some, and there was a daughter and a new son-in-law whose eyes were as big as donuts, looking at a courageous dad standing in front of business associates and friends holding a Bible, saying, and I'm paraphrasing, I could stand here for a long time and talk to you, but you just hold on to that. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Start every day, the two of you, every day, with a few minutes in God's Word and a few minutes praying with and for each other. I went over to him a little later on. The music was uh, getting a little bit loud. It was soon time to leave. 
and I waited for a break. And then I said to him, my dear friend, thank you. This room of people will never forget what you just did. Of all the things you could have said, my guess is every man in this room that has a daughter is thinking, now what am I going to say at my daughter's wedding reception when I have a chance, just a few minutes, to stand up and make a statement about my relationship with my daughter and give her words of advice that will carry her the rest of her life. Thank you. Realigned people find a courage that comes from that comes from him. Realigned people just become naturally contagious. You just want to be with them. You want to become like them. Realigned people look at time as something that is so valuable they don't want to waste it. And the best use of it is to help people, bring hope to people, right? By helping them know Jesus. Realigned people lock arms with other realigned people and they form community. Huh? So what global, global difference, my word, I can't even say it. What global difference are we making together as a realigned community of Jesus Christ followers called Calvary Community Church or whatever church you're a part of in 2013? Can you imagine the potential? Let's talk to him. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming for sharing your truth and the love of God with us. Thank you for giving your life and paying the sin price for us. Thank you for making it possible for us to be forgiven of our sin and restored in wonderful relationship with holy God. Thank you for giving to us your Holy Spirit. Thank you for inviting us to be your ambassadors. Thank you for empowering us as we face the challenges of life. What are you thanking him for this morning, friends? What are the issues in your life that need God's power, his help, his authority, his sovereignty? Invite him. Place those issues in his hands right now, right where you're sitting. Invite him to show you where you're not in alignment with him. And then when he shows you, do something about it. Tell them that you want to get back into alignment. Turn away from whatever it is that's caused you to be out of alignment. Invite him to do his realignment work in you. Embrace your calling, an ambassador of Jesus Christ. Embrace your fellow Christ followers. Lock arms in community. And if you've never trusted Jesus Christ to be your Savior, right where you're sitting is a perfect time the quietness of your heart just speaking to God and acknowledging that you know you need a Savior. You know you've got a sin problem and you can't help it. But He can. And He's paid your sin price and He's ready right now to help you. Invite Him to do that and then come and see me after the service. I'll explain it to you some more. Now, Lord Jesus, we worship you, celebrating that you're ready to be the ruler of our hearts. We praise you.